Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher, author, filmmaker, and the founder of InPeak, a platform where entrepreneurs and business professionals come to network, learn together, and stay ahead of the curve in the fast-paced world of emerging technologies like blockchain, Web3, NFTs, AI, automation, and so much more. My guest on today's podcast is Evan McMullen, the co-founder of Disco XYZ, which is working on decentralized identity in the metaverse and ensuring that we maintain control of our own data. This was a super interesting and insightful conversation that I'm sure you will really enjoy as it answers many of the questions that a lot of us have about living and working in the metaverse. So let's dive right in. So do you want to uh, start by kind of giving people a little bit of an idea of uh, what you're doing? And then that will spark a lot of questions and I will go from there. Fantastic, Somi. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Really excited to be able to share more of our work and our vision with your community. So I'm Evan and I'm based here in Brooklyn, New York. And at Disco, uh, we think a lot about what it means to be yourself in the metaverse. So at Disco, we're building your identity for the metaverse, meaning that we are making it as simple and easy for you to own and control the data that makes you, you, in the same way that you own and control your tokens. We are building your data backpacks for the metaverse so that when you create awesome data and the apps where you hang out, doing the activities you do every day, you can capture that data and bring it with you and use it later on. That's amazing. So. Can you tell me, do you have a technical background? So how did you come up with this idea? Are you an engineer? So I started off uh, as an engineer and built uh, many, you know, small games, tools and experiences when I was pretty young, uh, when I was a kid and actually in school and undergrad over 10 years ago, um, I started off doing quite a lot of engineering, Um, but it wasn't super satisfying for me in an academic context. And so I fell down the rabbit hole of free and open source software and got very involved in um, the community thinking about how we can use legal wrappers to make data more free and more accessible. Um, I studied identity in digital spaces and how we show up and decide what parts of ourselves to share in persistent digital environments like World of Warcraft and Chat Roulette, Facebook, uh, and Twitter. Um, And so my exploration of uh, self-expression in digital space has um, certainly started in a more technical context, but explored um, aspects of anthropology and sociology as well. And it was around that time that I learned about censorship resistant networks and Bitcoin, um, which sort of got me onto the crypto track. Uh, In my career, I've worked on a variety of human-centered design practices, spent time working on enterprise identity. Um, But with Disco, I took a step back earlier this year and decided that I really wanted to build something for everyone. I wanted to show the magic of Web3 and make that accessible to all without first requiring them to connect a bank account or pull out a credit card to pay for something. That's that's uh, so fascinating. Can you tell me where you are in your journey right now? Like, where is Disco? Is it something that I can use already, or um, where where is uh, in the journey of from ideation to actually being usable? So Disco is currently in private beta, where we are exploring our earliest use cases with some partners in the DAO ecosystem, as well as internally with our team and our community. Um, We are really excited to be able to offer these capabilities to folks like you and your community and your users and listeners um, this summer. So in June, you'll be able to visit disco.xyz 
connect your wallet with one click as you would normally another Web3 app. And immediately we will create that data backpack for you and you can start um, generating your own data to carry with you, receiving it from your friends and interacting with Web3 apps. That's uh, so fascinating. I'm really, really looking forward to testing that out. And we have uh, our community is growing as well. And people are really interested in how these new technologies are um, you know, being implemented. So what happens when I connect my wallet? What will I see? What, what does that data pack mean other than, because like right now, let's say my wallet is that I'm assuming that's like my MetaMask wallet, right? Um, and, and right now I just have some NFTs in there. So I'm trying to kind of get a feel for tangibly, what do we mean by those data packs? So an Ethereum compatible wallet like MetaMask is almost like a set of binoculars. It allows us to see what's happening over there on the chain what kinds of tokens have been mapped to our public address. Um, but it has very little local storage. You can't put a lot inside of your MetaMask that's not um, a reflection of what's happening on the chain. And so off-chain data, private data that's written about you, uh, takes up space. It needs to go somewhere. Those credentials need to go somewhere to sleep at night, as it were. Um, and so with Disco, we make it simple and easy for you to own and control these credentials stored off-chain and decentralized storage encrypted against your keys. But what you see on the screen, um, although it's very sort of technical and secure on the back end, what you see on the screen should feel a lot like a personal settings page, very similar to um, your Apple wallet, where you can see rectangular credentials that feel like those plastic cards in your physical wallet. Uh, things like membership, um, identity, um, any kind of statement written about you by someone else. That's really cool. So when this is ready, will you come and show us and like show us how it works, how we can connect our wallets and like, will there be like a demo? I would love to come share a demo with you all and we can yeah. do it together. What yeah. we're really excited about, um, actually what could be really fun to create with your community um, is issuing credentials that attest to the fact that they've listened to this content or they've, uh, they've viewed this podcast, that they're regular listeners, contributors, or participants in the community in some way. And being able to capture these proofs of non-financial work can help to demonstrate, you know, the fact that they've participated in these activities if that comes up again. So showing, you know, over time that they're a participant in a community um, performing work that's not appropriate to capture on chain, but is still valuable and relevant to their experience. So is that like POAPs basically? Um, very similar. We love the POAP team. We absolutely love what they're doing, but um, verifiable credentials are different than the NFTs that POAP dispenses because they are statements written about you and so they cannot be transferred. Whereas a POAP can be acquired outside of the context in which it was initially offered, can be resold, gifted, or um, shared in some way outside of the context. Uh, NFTs offer pretty low assurance around their holders, meaning that if you have an NFT, it's hard for me to tell uh, without some additional context if you acquired it via airdrop, if it was gifted to you, if you bought it, uh, if you traded it for something, if someone paid you fiat currency for it, if you stole it. Um, and so without that assurance around how public address came into a relationship with a token, we can't really tell whether someone was actually at the party they have the POAP for. Um, although it, it does help us to show that they've curated their external presentation um, to include that particular asset. 
So in the same way that you are not your t-shirts, you are not the contents of your wallet, those are just reflections of how you curate yourself. Rather, credentials are actually a description of you um, and a reflection of the activities that you yourself have done because they're specific to your identity alone. I love this. Do you see this being something that companies can uh, use for their members, for example? Is there a B2B aspect to it as well? Certainly. The wonderful thing about verifiable credentials is that they are open and composable. And so any party can capture any piece of information in a credential, bestow it upon the you know, individual it's written about, um, or use it for some you know, other kind of attestation, and then leverage it for access control in both digital and physical spaces. Fantastic. So for example, one of the things that we want to do with our members, we want to be able to follow who is attending the sessions live, who is participating, who is asking questions. And then if they watch it back, you know, whether they watch it fully, you know, how much they watch it, how much they're learning. I was initially thinking about adding some quizzes, but I've never liked quizzes myself, you know, like I, I personally, I think like if I have watched, say, let's say, for example, if you have a course on NFTs, if somebody has watched 80% of that or 90% of that, they probably have learned enough to be able to kind of get by or, or they may not necessarily be able to say it back to you. I'm looking currently at a solution similar to this. So, so this may be a, a possibility that we may be able to use your product in, in the sense that I want to be able to incorporate that into our platform um, so that we can keep track of what people are watching. And then if you hold one of our NFTs, and you're watching all of these things, you know, then you have, let's say, for example, the next time there's an NFT drop, you know, you will get priority, uh, you know, on, on the analysis, right? Or, the, uh, or, for example, there will be some other uh, NFTs down the line that are going to be um, really like limited. Let's say, for example, there will be 100 NFTs that will give you access to experiences directly with me. Like we can go to CERN together, you know, like we can go to MIT or we can go stargazing, you know, I'm building these experiences around science, technology, philosophy, you know, maybe we go to, like, say, I'm going to go to Prague and I'm going to go to, you know, Kafka's house, you know, and like, you know, like that, like that's like, these are moments that kind of really mean so much to me. I want to be able to share it with some of the people who own our NFTs who have been like longtime supporters from early days. And I want to be able to follow their journeys and make sure that like they are, uh, you know, these are people that are really learning stuff with us, you know, and I want to be able to reward them in a very meaningful way for what they're learning. Uh, So would the product be called Disco or because the Disco is the name of the brand, right? What's the product called the verifiable uh, credential? Is there like a short term for it? And how would how would we implement that? So in the same way that we can describe NFTs by their data primitive and by their use case, we have NFTs that are ERC-721s, we have NFTs that are art objects. Similarly, with verifiable credentials, um, there's the verifiable credential spec, um, which is the technical definition. And then there are the use cases, membership cards, proofs of participation, you know, proofs of learning, proofs of achievement or completion, um, tickets, uh, you know, all, all sorts of different use cases. So um, what Disco enables is the easy uh, accrual for end users of these credentials and their ability to manage these credentials, what 
parts of themselves they're associated with, what identifiers they're mapped to, whether they're related to their Twitter handle, their Ethereum address, their Solana address, et cetera, um, and the ability to issue, request, disclose, and curate those credentials around themselves. Um, similarly, we make it easy for applications to issue and validate these credentials. So not only can they bestow them upon their community, but they can also read credentials that their community brings to them from other places throughout Web 2 and Web 3. Uh, so overall, I think the suggestions you've made are really fantastic ones. And what I would highlight here is that, um, you know, verifiable credentials can be used nicely in combination with on-chain assets. So as we discussed earlier, NFTs offer a pretty low assurance around the public address to which they're mapped. And they also have an unfettered secondary market. So you cannot control sort of who is accessing um, a given point if the only element to access that point is an NFT that's transferable. However, in conjunction with verifiable credentials that are non-transferable, these sorts of unique combinations can take into account both on-chain data and off-chain uh, private reputation or um, proofs of experience, completion, participation, um, like all those different use cases for the primitive that we might have. So what DISCO will make possible is the programmatic or manual issuance of credentials. So let's say someone goes stargazing with you. You can issue a credential to them attesting to the fact that you two have looked upon the universe and discussed what might be out there. Um, and then that individual can take that stargazing credential and um, show it to some other party who can, without having to call you, trust the fact that you two have done that activity together, whether that's an app or a person in space. Yeah, fascinating. I love it. So one of the things that I'm trying to do with the platform, and actually we are going to rebrand because when, when we first started, it was focused mostly on women. However, uh, we have decided to expand it because there are very, very few women in the Web3 space or interested in it, you know, and as we expand, I really want to work on this concept of male allyship and men supporting women and wanting to, you know, have more women in this space, but also building a space where men and women together can discuss these things and, and you know, feel, um, you know, learn together, basically. And so we found it very limiting for our members as well to have only women, you know. So, uh, so it started out that way and, and then it, it became clear that that was not necessarily the right way to go. So we are expanding now and we are going to be rebranding and then the Fempeak is going to become a, a, a you know a, a, a subsection of the bigger brand. Um, so I'm currently working on on that. And the idea of this bigger brand is um, it's all about emerging technologies. It's about teaching people about emerging technologies. Today that's Web three. Six month time it may be some other things. Like for example, a couple of years ago, you know, or, or even a year ago, people weren't talking about DAOs as much as they are talking about now. So right. So. Uh, same with NFTs, right? So these new things come up and we want to be able to stay on top of it. And uh, also not just about blockchain, but also artificial intelligence. And uh, I'm also already starting to do a lot of research on quantum computing because I know that the next dis disruption is going to come from that. So we want to build a, uh, a space where we uh, close the gap between um, you know, formal education and uh, emerging technologies, because the speed is so fast uh, that um, it's very hard for a formal education to catch up with it, right? Like, for example, there's no point in going to university anymore to learn about marketing, 
you know, like marketing strategy. There's just no point in it because marketing has changed so much and it's changing every day. Marketing in Web3, we already know how different it is um, to marketing in Web2. So these are the kind of things that we are teaching on the platform. And I can see an opportunity for these verifiable credentials to follow people's journey and to give real-time uh, credentials so that you don't have to wait to finish a degree and then you know do an exam and like go through certain things. You know, it may well be that for you to find a job in a DAO, all you need is to have done you know 30% of this course, right? And that may be enough to show uh, that you can get started and you can get started and you can continue to learn. So basically, essentially what I'm building is a platform for lifelong learning uh, in emerging technologies. And how do you see your idea of verifiable credentials complementing education? Actually, let me ask you this question. How do you see the future of education as a whole? Do you think we will still have schools and universities as we go into the metaverse? So at Disco, we think of the metaverse as your ability to show up in any digital or physical environment and receive a personalized experience as a result of the parts of yourself that you choose to share. I think that there will always be a role for formal structures like universities. However, the range of spaces in which we can accrue valuable skills that can contribute to communities will increase drastically. I think to your point, verifiable credentials as a data form are uniquely well-suited to documenting academic achievements that are personal to us, that are contextual to our experiences, and that can have relevance in a variety of different contexts. Um, there are already a wonderful uh, you know, and diverse range of secondary education institutions that are experimenting with verifiable credentials from the state of Colorado to the University of Arizona to secondary education institutions all over Europe. Uh, I think it's really exciting that there is such focus, um, especially at the standards level from the World Wide Web Consortium. Their educational verifiable credentials working group is extraordinarily active. Um, they're currently supporting a number of bounties to encourage the open source development of tooling around these capabilities. And so I think that the our ready ability to solve the phone home problem with academic achievements, where uh, anyone reading your resume can trust that its contents are validated and, and can independently do so rather than, you know, having to, uh, you know, check manually on someone's credentials and achievements. Um, and I also think that the real-time nature of these capabilities or the near real-time ability to accrue, um, accrue skills at your own pace that you mentioned will allow many more self-directed learners to find new roles based on new skill sets in a timeline that works for them as opposed to an academic calendar season. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned uh, that you can share the things that you choose to share. That, I think that's, that's a key point here, which is a differentiator to the way that things are in Web2 because there's been many times you know, when I, I remember I used to be in, in a death metal band <laughs> and uh, when uh, there were many times where, you know, somebody would post something on their website that wasn't very flattering. And like, you know, and you were you were asking them, you were like, look, you know, maybe take that down or, uh, you know, something like that. You know, do you see that in Web3 with these verifiable credentials, we may be able to 
have more control over our identity. I mean, for me personally, I'm like, you know, you go through so many phases throughout your life, you know, like I did modeling, I was in a metal band, I was a filmmaker, um, I studied political philosophy. So like, there are so many of these different things I've done that on the surface, they may not look like they are relevant to each other, but the, the combination of all of those things. But most of the time, we don't have any control over how these things are portrayed, right? And when it comes to Web3, especially this issue of there are a lot of people who are anonymous, like, for example, think about Azuki, right? What happened right now? If there was a way that he could still be anonymous, but when he started that you know, initiative, if there was a way for people to be able to verify that he was a trustworthy person, that he didn't have a track record of abandoning projects, you know, things like that. How do you think this will play out in Web3? Because if we have the ability to control uh, the way that we are portrayed, is that possible? And then if, if it is possible, what could be also maybe the negatives? Because could it be that somebody could then hide certain things like they would be like okay let me look at selectively how am i being shown are the things that i can you know delete uh you know and or like not show you know what i mean like how do you see this working out because in in web 2 as long as you know the person's name there's quite a lot you can find out about them so i think in the future the absence of positive reputation will be negative reputation as you know, people don't like to curate negative things about themselves. Um, they don't, you know, lead with the parts of themselves that other people don't care for. And so um, it can warrant a conversation when an absence of positive reputation is present um, or, or is when, when there is an absence of positive reputation. In I love it. Web- this is this is game changing, by the way. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to say no, no, this, please, is, please. this is so important what you just said. Like, uh, I know that, you know, I have ADHD. So I know that as I was explaining this, I, I could see that I wasn't maybe explaining it very clearly, but but you got exactly what I'm, what I'm trying to say. This is very, very interesting that if, if you are unknown and nobody knows anything about you, that's a red flag, essentially, potentially, especially if you are trying to build a project that's trying to get people to invest thousands or, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions in it, right? So my uh, dear friend and, and extraordinarily sharp colleague, Michael Senaf, who leads a project called Ceramic um, and, and uh, founded Three Box as a co-founder of um, Uport and of the Decentralized Identity Foundation, uh, he characterizes um, an aspect of this as the known universe problem. The known universe problem is that an application can only deliver an experience as rich to its user as um, the known universe of information that the app has about that user. So your experience is is defined by the known universe of information about you. The more information about you that is possible, the more feasible interactions can be personalized to you and can interact with your presentation of self. This is true for the richness of our interactions with apps, but also for the richness of our interactions with other parties in Web3. Right now, the known universe of information about any given wallet address is quite small because it is limited only to that data that is public and inherently financial because it's happening on chain. So um, for all data that doesn't have a double spend problem, 
and that doesn't require global public availability, in Web3, that is not part of our known universe, which means that we cannot base our coordination on any of that kind of data. We are left alone to the data on the chain, um, which doesn't give us a very rich picture about one another. Do you see, uh, do you see a scenario where the data that there is about us in Web2 could find its way into on-chain? So the challenge with data in much data in Web2 and a lot of data in Web3 is that there's not a lot of consent involved in the way that it gets shared about us. So in Web2 right now, when we use applications, we consent to hand over the data we create, the data that describes us while we're inside that app environment. Apps are where we go to be surveilled. So the secondary market for the data about us that we generate inside of apps is unfettered, out of our control, beyond our consent. There are data brokers that buy and sell this information and can do with it whatever they choose without consulting us. And that includes putting that data on a blockchain. So for all data moving forward that we might generate or capture for our use and our sovereign ownership, we can decide how we want to share that data, um, especially if we capture it in the form of data that can be encrypted against our public keys, that can be known to us and owned and controlled by us, and can be verified by others so that others might rely upon it in a trustless way. Yeah. You know what? This is making me think that we are almost taking a step back to take two steps forward, right? Because we were doing, when I say we, I mean, as humans, we were doing a really good job of creating mass data, which is needed to progress in machine learning, right? But then that data was in the hands of the likes of Facebook and now Meta um, and, and all the other. Yes, exactly. We made a Faustian bargain to prioritize the data availability to feed our apps and machine learning algorithms. Yes. And prioritized, you know, that data availability over the informed consent of users worldwide. Yeah. So um, I always give this, whenever I'm talking about data and how our data is being used on social media, I, uh, not just social media, you know, Google, et cetera. Like, I suppose that's a form of social media um, is that basically our data, it's a little bit like, you know, the fossil fuels that are powering our economy in a similar way. You know, it's kind of like this fossil fuel needs to be refined to be usable. So then you have refineries, right? And they, they refine that. So essentially companies like Meta, they will come and say, hey, you've got this oil in your backyard. They don't even tell you that. Like when, when we all started using Facebook, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know. Did you know when you started using Facebook, like in 2000 and I don't know, whatever it was when it first started? Absolutely not. No, I remember in the early days of Facebook, part of their rights and responsibilities, as they called their terms <laughs> and conditions, involved um, their you know, capture of the ownership uh, and intellectual property rights of the photos that people contributed. So at one point, there were paid media advertisements featuring Facebook users who did not consent to be on billboards. And those sorts of, of shocking moments when we realize that our data is being leveraged in ways beyond our initial awareness and consent, um, that really frames the challenge for Web3. And right now, I'm not seeing a whole lot of focus on informed consent. 
In fact, in Web3 in general, the way that our public blockchains work is predicated on a lack of consent for our wallets. We cannot reject any incoming tokens, which is why we are able to enjoy this beautiful, you know, beautifully designed um, censorship resistant network. But what that means is that we do not have the ability to control um, incoming uh, data tokens to our wallet. So our autonomy, the autonomy of our private keys comes from our ability to remove assets from our wallets and to own data that can interact with smart contracts and can uh, make possible the movement of tokens and value based on more than what is represented on the chain. Yeah, this is this is such an important point. So you know what, I made a note here. I'm going to come back to this issue of the fact that we can't uh, say no to incoming data. But before I do that, I want to ask you this question. So in a world where we all control our data, then there is no way to aggregate that data to enable machine learning and and um, and continue to develop machine learning. Is that do you see that being a problem? And how so? I disagree. I think that with advances in secure multi-party computation, in encrypted search, and the ability to query data sets um, that, while, while uh, maintaining the um, encryption of their plain text, offer great opportunities for continued machine learning and for training our future algorithms on data sets that are representative and, you know, to the best of our ability, less biased than they are today. However, I think that the informed consent of the users whose data is represented and the meaningful compensation for use of personal data are subjects that we must address before we pursue this very exciting future. Yeah, definitely. You know what? Many times I think to myself, and I actually wrote a, an article about this on LinkedIn at some point, I was like, you know, Facebook owes us so much money <laughs> because we essentially all worked for free, <laughs> you know, for, for Facebook and not just Facebook for all of these, you know, massive companies like Apple, et cetera. Right. Like, and, and they are now worth so much. They owe us airdrops, man, <laughs> you know, you know, because they, because they became what they became on the back of the data that we generated by using, you know, their, um, their free products, right? So, so they give you a, a free email, they give you a free, you know, Facebook profile, and then you go on there and you are uh, interacting. And then in the back end of it, there's like machine learning algorithms, learning, learning, learning about everything that you're doing and, and then um, becoming more and more powerful, more and more valuable. And, and then the value of that network effect goes back to, you know, to those companies and shareholders. Whereas the reality is that, you know what, I think a lot about how this could be interrelated with UBI. You know, when you think about UBI, like, you know, people often think of UBI as being this thing that is like, you, you know, that you're just getting free money. But actually, we are all contributing to the creation of these technologies that are then going to... Um, put us out of a job, right? <laughs> you know, like basically we are all contributing to creating uh, these um, uh, machine learning algorithms that can then learn from us and do everything better than us. You know, like even in art, even in music, you know, everything is 
teachable and learnable. And, and I mean, you think about NFTs, like the, the generative, you know, NFTs, that um, uh, that's a very good example, right? That you, you don't know, like you, you put all those combinations together and you don't know what comes out. And it, actually what comes out is really impressive, right? So these are all, and in that case, it's not even machine learning. It's just like a code, you know, like basically good old fashioned code, right? Um, so I think that uh, there's definitely, I see a, a world where we just are, right? Like that we are just, we just are, we just like, exist and we just go about our lives you know hang out you know create uh, things you know like have fun whatever you know and and just through our interactions machines are constantly learning and learning so we should be uh compensated and that would be the uh, the the ubi you know and, and it could may it, it may well be that you know that that will become a it can come from gaming, can come from so many different ways. Um, but that, but if I go back and think of like, let's just take you know the big five companies: Amazon, Apple, Google, etc. They all owe us airdrops. <laughs> I think you make a really great point, right? That in our current set of circumstances, we are renting our daily conveniences in digital space. We are renting our social interactions. We are paying with our sovereignty and our autonomy. And the big perk is that we get cheap dopamine. It is a hell of a drug. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think the dopamine is so addictive for most people. And like, you know, if you if you don't actively think about this, and I'm a I'm a philosopher, I'm a tech philosopher, right? This is what I do. I actively think about these things. For example, I haven't watched a single Netflix series or or uh, you know films in like two and a half years because um, you know I'm trying to make a, a an active uh, I'm trying to make a statement about it. It's that you know that uh, like whether it's TikTok, whether it's like all of these things, they are they are basically tapping into your attention, and it's really important to make a um, a, a decision on where you're going to get give your attention. Um, do you think that through education, it's possible to, um, you know, to make people realize the value of their data? Uh, or is it that 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 dopamine um, is going to be too strong that they can't avoid it? You know, and, and I suppose on that note, what are your thoughts on a facebook based metaverse you know like how how do you see web3 and the ethos of web3 um surviving in a world where the likes of meta are um, pouring so much money into those things and then of course there's the cbdc's you know that's another thing that that makes me think a lot about these things you know because there are many people who are going to prefer CD, CBDCs because they uh, think that it's more um, trustworthy because it's issued by government. So the whole point of decentralization is to try and get away from the centralized, whether it's governments, whether it's the centralized powers of you know, the likes of Google and, and uh, Amazon, Apple, etc. How do you see us being able to educate the public um, on these topics? So I think education is a wonderful tool that can help to spark 
the intent to try with one's own hands. I can tell you what it's like to bake a cake all day, but until you bake a cake yourself, you're not going to smell what it's like coming out of the oven. You're not going to be able to feel the resistance of the whisk in your hand as all the ingredients come together. And so education is the important on-ramp to realizing value in your own life. And that meaningful, that meaningful change in a user's life when their life becomes easier, faster, cheaper, more, um, more, I don't know, attuned to their personal needs, less complex and arduous. Um, that is how we compete with cheap dopamine is actual value. So to your question about the future of the metaverse, according to Jazak, I don't think that the human beings of the world want to hang out in someone else's website with an iPad strapped to their face. It's not very fun. <laughs> I think that we can more, uh, we can, we can create a much more interesting world if we look at every sur surface around us, both physical and digital and see that as an opportunity for interaction, for engagement, for personalization, regardless of the proprietary institution that's putting forth those pixels or that particular gateway. Yeah, I, I really, really hope. And uh, I do believe that you're right. But at the same time, um, I think the power of, of uh, these companies you know, like one of one of the con concerns I have about Web3 as it is now, the way it is now, it's a steep learning curve, man. You know, you, you know, like learning uh, to um, uh, set up your wallet, then you have to go to an exchange, you need to buy, you need to then uh, transfer, and you're constantly worrying about, you know, sending it to the wrong address. And I had one of the worst experiences <laughs> was like when I was trying to buy my Moonbird, um, I uh, won the raffle and I was minting my Moonbird. I went to the wrong website because, like, they had created this exactly identical website, you know. And I, I lost basically two and a half ETH, um, you know, because I uh, clicked the wrong thing. And um, and there was no, there was like the, you feel like you're on your own. There is no protection. There is no customer service, you know, and. Like there's, there wasn't even like a thing that says, are you sure you want to do this, right? Like it would be really helpful if, if it if it told me, this looks like it's not the right website, you know, like that, the, are you sure you want to do this? And um, I suppose because maybe that's early days, do you see that um, experience over time improving? And um, I'm just worried that those experiences that are very hard right now, you know, the likes of me and you, we are like, okay, we are just going to stick with it. You know, yes, it's hard right now. It's early days. Most people are not going to understand that. And, and I just worry that somebody, you know, one of these big, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Yuga Labs, you know, like think about that. Like now they are trying to, you know, uh, st uh, like steer away from, uh, 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 from Ethereum, you know, like what, what's going to happen now? Yuga Labs is going to become the next Facebook. I think right now, if we talk about that specific example, Yuga Labs needs to learn how to review their own contracts to make them more efficient. If that was the best effort at an efficient minting contract to ensure that there wouldn't be a gas war, I think we've still got a little bit of growth to go before we flee to a side chain. Fundamentally, I think that usability is the biggest blocker to adoption Web3 full stop. We often 
reach for problems that are attuned to our skill sets and feel comfortable in their pursuit, like scalability and uh, security. But in Web3, we need a healthy dose of user experience design and research. We need to go meet our users where they are in their journey, not at step one in our user journey in our backlog. Well, that's why I'm so passionate about getting more women involved, because I always say that technology, there are three ways that we uh, interact with technology. Uh, It's uh, design, engineer, and use. It's okay if there are not many women coding. At the very least, we could get involved with designing and using and and then giving feedback on how that user experience could could be improved, right? And I don't know how many women you see in in this space, but um, I don't see that many. Uh, and I, I'm hoping, you know, that that will change over time. So me, I'm glad to hear that this is something you're seeking. And I'm so excited to welcome you into a lot of the spaces where I hang out, where I interact with dozens and dozens of women in Web3 every day. In fact, I have some friends in Web3 who don't realize, or rather their experiences do not reflect a male-dominated space because they have come into communities that are focused on embracing female and non-binary participants uh, in our metaverse. And so I think it's really important that we bring um, openness and transparency and welcoming uh, to all who want to experiment in in this new frontier. I especially want to call out boysclub.vip, which is the global community of women and non-binary people in Web3, SheFi, which is an amazing global educational platform that walks women through DeFi content, Metagamma Delta, She256. Um, There are even more uh, growing every day, but I think it's really awesome how decentralized technologies have helped to create spaces of affinity and community for folks from all walks of life and all kinds of identities. Um, For me especially, my introduction to crypto was through an incredible female computer science professor. And she is um, now uh, an incredible leader in the Bitcoin community uh, a decade later. Um, But at the time when I was first introduced to these spaces where these conversations were happening, um, I was introduced to them by a young woman. And so I've always thought that these are for me. That's amazing. I will really appreciate if you could introduce us to some of these amazing uh, women. And I would be happy to. I absolutely I absolutely also want to endorse a few of them as future podcast guests. I think course, their yes. vision and understanding of how to develop income, um, inclusive ecosystems is second to none. Fantastic. That is great. So with our goal of rebranding to a bigger community, it's very important for me that even as we have men and uh, you know uh, people of other backgrounds and genders coming in it's very important that we show women and have women in the leadership you know that I want you know what let let let's let the gentleman take a bit of women's planning <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know and learn from uh, women too because because I think that we bring a a different perspective a you know I, I don't I don't want to pigeonhole us into the whole empathetic empathetic thing but we are empathetic and and i think that that's what we do need as we build these um you know these technologies that's part of why web3 is not very user friendly because it it's not really got that woman touch in some ways you know like i I feel like we could make it more uh, more um user friendly by having empathy for people who are finding it hard you know i think from a product perspective devoting more attention to how we create UX journeys 
about how we build our front ends, the kind of design cues and trust cues that we integrate. Um, if we spent as much time and effort on our user experience journeys as we do our smart contract security, mm-hmm. Web3 would be a much more usable place. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's there's no better Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for having me. It's been a delight to speak with you today. Um, my DMs are open at Proven Authority on Twitter, Evan at Disco XYZ, if anyone has any questions and wants to share their dreams for the metaverse. Perfect. Thank you so much, Evan. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Evan McMullen. Be sure to follow her on Twitter at Proven Authority. Also follow Disco XYZ and what they're building. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.